I want to take time and wish you a happy Memorial Day. And I also want to take time and just acknowledge and remember uh, those who have given of their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do. Uh, freedom is something we enjoy, but it has come with a price. And there are many men and women who are still standing in harm's way while we are here. And so let's take a moment and pray, give thanks to the Lord for the things we have. Father, we are grateful, Lord, for the blessings we have in our country, Lord, for the freedoms we enjoy and even take for granted. And Lord, we are grateful for those men and women who have allowed us to maintain this freedom. And we do pray for those even now who are in foreign countries and far away from family and home and in harm's way and for those who are here concerned and worried and praying for them, Lord, we join with them and remember, Lord, those that we love, those who have given of themselves so that we could enjoy the things we do, Lord. Bless those families who are serving in the military, we pray. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Psalm 139. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get one to you as we go through this passage of scripture. And as they're handing those out, I'm going to go ahead and read through the psalm and then we'll go back and talk about it. Starting in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, 
they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me. You who are bloodthirsty, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is one of the most beautiful psalms. And as we've been going through our series for the past few months on songs of life, I can't think of one that is more needful for us to be aware of. You know, in Psalm 19, we read that I have... Wait, that's not Psalm 19. There it is. There it is. Psalm 19, it says, declares the majesty of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And so in Psalm 19, we saw the majesty of God displayed in the universe. But here in this Psalm, what we see is the intimacy of God. When he says that he has created my inmost being, he has knit us together in our mother's womb. You know, so many times we we look for the universe to be a declaration of who God is, but maybe what speaks to us even more clearly, more profoundly, is the universe within us. The cravings that we have within our own souls. This understanding that I am here and I have a purpose that I desire a connection, a meaning for my life. I desire this relationship with this being that I don't know, but that I know is there. That I I want to have that meaning. And it's something that drives us. And that's why there is religion in every society. Because everyone is looking to try and make sense of the world that we live in. And so we look to religion to try and find answers to these questions that aren't out there, but that are in here. And this psalm gives us this insight into the intimacy of God. You know, when Hagar was kicked out of the family when Sarah told Abraham get her out of here because her son is going to try and take what belongs to my son and in just a, a cruel injustice she is banished and she is going to die with her child out in the desert the Lord appears to her leads her to a well and her declaration at that point was, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that's exactly what David is talking about here, is the one who sees me. But he's not just observing, he's involved. 
as it says there, he perceives our thoughts, that he discerns our going in and our lying down. There is this kind of God-stalker thing that's going on here. He's following me. He's watching me. He's taking interest in me and the things that I do, whether I sit or whether I lay down, whether I'm going in or out, he's there observing me. In fact, he's not just observing, his hand is upon me. And it's not in a way that is making us uneasy. Watch out, God is watching you. No, this thought is too wonderful. It's something that is beyond our ability to truly grasp, not because of its magnificence, but because of its intimacy. And as we start seeing the omnipresent God involved in our lives, it's interesting because usually when we think of omnipresent, we think of big, and when we think of big, it kind of gets cloudy it gets distant it's like those pictures when you blow them up too much they get all pixelated and there's a lack of clarity but unlike that what's taking place is the bigger this encompasses us the closer it gets and the more clear we see his involvement in our lives now i know a lot of you are are new parents and new parents are funny especially to us who have had kids. And they're annoying to those who don't have kids. Because everything's a big deal. Oh, she smiled for the first time. She smiled. Whoa, man. Take notes. Write it in the journal. You know, all she did was smile. Oh, but it's a big deal to the parent. Oh, he laughed. He laughed. But you see, when that's your child, that laughter resonates. I can still hear the laughter of my children. It, it, it still echoes in my soul. And so when they say, oh, you know, he laughed for the first time, and, and they remember that. And oh, he rolled over. Whoa, that's wonderful. He rolled over. And then he takes his first steps. And then she starts to learn how to ride the bicycle. And then we take off the training wheels. And then they go to school. And then they learn to drive. And then they move out of the house. And then they get married. And then they have children. And all this time, The parent is watching them, you see, because when they laugh for the first time, it's the parent who's probably tickling their feet to try and get them to laugh. It's the boo trying to get them to ah and laugh and and respond in that way. And it's the parent holding their fingers so that they can take those first steps and surrounding them so that when they walk, they don't fall and hit the coffee table. And we put those rubber things on the coffee table so that they don't hit their head like they're going to just fall on the corner, you know, like we think that's going to help. And then it's the parent running behind her for two blocks while she's riding the bike without the training wheels so that she doesn't fall. And they're like magnets to the parked cars, you know. It's like, let go, bam, into the car, you know. 
and it's the parents sitting in the passenger seat teaching them how to drive a stick, you know, okay. It's the parent that is there with tears in their eyes as they're seeing them go up the aisle, giving the vows. It's the parent who's there to babysit the grandchildren so that they can go out and get some time alone. You see, the parent is there watching all this take place, involved deeply, and even more so we see with God. And it's too wonderful. It's overwhelming to see how involved he really is. Every aspect, he's there watching, and not only watching, but his hand is upon us. You see, because his hand is upon us even in those dark times. And in fact, he goes on, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, you're there. Verse eight, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle the other side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Even there your care is upon me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night, still he's around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night shines like day. You see, even in the darkness of our lives, he is there holding us, working in our lives. And so it's even when the child gets sick and has to go in to the hospital that the parent is there, caring for them, asking the questions praying over them, crying over them. It's when they fall and skin their knee that the parent is there to bandage them and to make sure they're okay or if they get in that car accident. And it's the the parent's heart that breaks when the marriage ends because of a tragedy because of unfaithfulness or some other tragedy. It's the parent who's there wanting to comfort and to to mend the heart of their child. They're still involved with the life. They, They can't let it go. And even when the darkness of that child's life comes in, even when they they go off the deep end and they start living a, a, a rebellious life, the parent still cares. And God still cares. You know, why would you choose to leave? Why would you try and flee from his presence? You know, John 3, it says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. And so imagine this, the the incredible scrutiny of God of care and concern, that that parent who's looking just for the the tiny smile, who's waiting to hear that belly laugh, that parent who is watching intently to see these things going on, it's the same God who is looking when we go off the deep end, when we move towards darkness, when our lives are engaging in things that aren't good for us. It's the same God who is looking intently on us. And 
we try and hide, we try and shut the doors, we try and close off the recognition that God is there and he's watching, but it, the door doesn't shut him out. And drawing the blinds, he, he's still there and he's still present. And he's still caring. He's still loving. He still has his hand upon us. Because he cares even in those dark times. Even when it seems like we are in the deepest pit, in the depths, that he's there right beside us. Corey Ten Boom, when she was in a Nazi concentration camp, said of God, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. There is nowhere you can go that he is not there with you. And you see, this brings either incredible comfort or incredible discomfort, depends on where you're at and why you're there. You see, when it's Cory Ten Boom in a Nazi concentration camp, not by her own choosing, and is there with her sister and is seeing her sister die, it's incredible comfort to know that even in this pit, God is here with us, that his hand has not let go, that he hasn't abandoned us. But you see, if you're the one who's taking yourself into these dark areas, the idea of God being there with you can be an uncomforting thing if you don't want to be in this place. And so you'll try and block him out of your mind. You'll try and ignore the fact that he is there. And whatever you're engaged in and whatever you're doing, the reality of him being there becomes unbearable. But he's there. But he's there. And not only is he there, but he was at work with you even before you started to smile. Even before you started to roll over. He says that Verse 13, you created my inmost being. The word that's actually used for inmost being is the word kidneys. I know that seems weird to us, but you see, in the Hebrew thought, the kidneys is where your desires and longings were seated. And so he created your inmost desires, your inmost longings. He is a part of that and he knit you together in your mother's womb. And this is such vivid imagery. It's such beautiful picture. There's over 60 miles of veins in the human body. That's a lot of miles just in your veins. The surface area of your lungs is about 750 square feet. That's a good-sized room. You see, he put you together in your mother's womb. And what imagery this is in light of the things that we are hearing in the news, just regarding that doctor, Kermit Gosnell, and the abortions and the murders that took place of those young women, and of course babies. You see, but we don't recognize there's such 
craftsmanship taking place before we're even seen, before we even are breathing the air when we're in our mother's womb, he is at work. And it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, they're marvelous. I know them full well. They're wonderful. Do you understand that about yourself? Do you understand that you are fearfully, wonderfully made? That you are God's masterpiece? And you might think, well, no, you don't understand. I've got a big nose and I'm big other places too, you know. I, I don't have, you know, the right things about me. I'm a little messed up. I'm a little, you know, dysfunctional in these things. And do you understand that you're not an accident? That God wove you together, that you are masterfully put together, that there is no machinery that we have made that has the sensitivity of your fingertips, that you are able to sense things with your fingertips that are amazing, that you're able to hear so many different kinds of sound, that you're able to see and view so many different things and put them together. You're able to understand language and make sense of it. You're able to to move, to walk, to run. Maybe not fast, but maybe you can run a little bit. But all these things that we take for granted are just miraculous. And you are fearfully, you are wonderfully made. And if you don't know that, then your Heavenly Father is there trying to, to get you to understand trying to tickle you to make you laugh. Or maybe trying to hold you when you're wanting to cry. Wanting to let you know you're of significance. That you matter. That he is watching you. He has always been watching you. In fact, before you were born, he was putting you together. And he has written your days as in the book so that he knows the end from the beginning. And he's watching over you the whole time. And God is at work in this way. In fact, how precious are his thoughts towards you. The vast sum of them, were I to count them, verse 18, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I awake. I am still with you. Jesus says the very number of our hair, he counts. That he is that much involved with you. You see, what tapestry can equal the human fabric? There's none. If you realized who you are, if you realize that you are wonderfully, fearfully, masterfully made, that you have the image of of the living God stamped in your soul. He's put those desires, those longings within you. If we would recognize that, if that would be 
permeating through our thoughts and our minds and the way we think. It, it would be amazing. Now, what's interesting is when he goes to verse 19, it seems like, wow, this was so beautiful. Why'd you have to go bring the wicked into it? You know, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Like, wow, I thought we were doing good here. When you see a child full of innocence, when you see a baby who is dependent completely on others and harm is maliciously done to that child, it's horrific. Because here is something that is so wonderful. Here is something that is so helpless, so innocent. And when something is done against that innocence and against that child, it causes such emotion. And when something is done against the God who cares so deeply, who loves so perfectly, so relentlessly, and someone brings accusations against God, it stirred up the emotion and David. That's why he says, I hate with perfect hatred. One translation says, it's like, well, that's an interesting combination of words. Perfect hatred. I don't know that I want to be there. But you see, what that is, is when you reject perfect love, what are you left with? When you turn your back on love that is so complete, so invested, so desiring for your benefit and good, and you slander that, what is left? If you turn your back on love, then this is what you have, and God is love. And so it's not like, yeah, God's going to get you. It's like you turned your back on the one who really loves you. How many parents in wanting to help their kids and see them get involved with drugs or other things that are just devastating to their lives, that cause such detriment, and they see that, and they can see the harm it's doing, and they want to help them, and they want to get them into some kind of rehabilitation, and they want to get them out of this relationship that is being abusive. They want to help them to get to a better place, but that person says, no, I don't want to. Leave me alone. I don't know how many times I've talked to people on the streets, they're living on the streets, and it's not because their parents haven't tried to help them, it's because they keep making the choices that leave them in the gutter. And so it's not that God doesn't love these people, it's these people keep turning their back on God. And when you turn your back on love, you're left with this hatred. And so David talks about those who are rejecting and slandering this God who is caring. And he's even caring for them. But God, you don't want to see this love thrown into the mud and, and brought to such a low estate. It, it's hurtful. But what I love is how this psalm ends 
is it doesn't just end, yeah, get those, I count them as my enemies. What he does here is he says, search me. Scrutinize me. Because you know me so completely. See what's in my heart. Test and know my anxious thoughts if there is any offensive way in me. Think about that. God, I want you to scrutinize any offensive way that is in me. You ever prayed that? I've been at a lot of prayer meetings. I never heard that, or I don't hear it very often. God help them to see the error of their ways. God help them. God help me to get a better job. God help me with this, this, and that. But usually it's not God scrutinize me and show me if there is anything that is offensive in me. Show me if there's any prejudice in me. Show me if there's any envy within me. Show me if there's any pride that is keeping me from seeing the ugliness that is inside of me. God, see if there is anything that will keep me from you. Because when he says, lead me to the way everlasting, he's saying, God, I need to be with you. The way everlasting is with the one who is everlasting. So God, whatever it takes to get out of my life so that I can be with the one who loves me completely, perfectly, knowingly. Get rid of it. And you see, the truth is, there are things that we are unaware of. There are things that you know you know. There are things that you know you don't know. For example, I know that if I exercise, it's good for my body. There's things I know I don't know. I know I don't know how to do open heart surgery. I'm positive. Just if you were thinking about that, don't come to me. Not the guy. But you see, there are things that I don't know that I don't know. And those are the important things. Like maybe I don't know that my cholesterol count is too high. Maybe I don't know that I have a blood clot in my leg. Maybe I don't know some ailment that is inside of my body. And if I don't know those things, they can lead to my death. Well, the same thing is true with our souls. There are things you know and there are things you know you don't know. There are things you don't know that you don't know that are important. And that might be the pride that's stopping you from having that relationship with your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your friend. Maybe you are unaware of those things in you that are offensive. Maybe you're unaware of those things that are hindering you in your relationship with God and you're thinking, well, I, I know what I need to know. But what do you not know that you need to know? And how do you find it out? Well, David is saying, search me. Test my heart, my anxious thoughts. 
see if there is anything offensive in me. And I got to tell you this. If you don't find anything offensive in yourself, you're not looking very hard. Okay? I'm just telling you. I can think, and I'm not going to tell them to you, but it doesn't take long before offensive ways come to me. And when that happens, do I recognize that that's actually an answer to prayer? Because now I know of something in my life that I can now deal with so that I can be connected to the way everlasting. And that's what we need. And so this psalm is a journey from the God who knows us so completely, the God who loves us so perfectly, the God who has had his hand upon us from the beginning and has not let go even through the darkness and has woven us together all this time. Now it's up to us. What do we want? Because we see what he wants. But what do you want? What kind of relationship do you want with this God? You know, when he talks about, you know, the end. It's written in the book what's going to happen. It's important that we understand that there's a difference between uh, predestined and God knowing to God determining. I don't play chess because it hurts my brain, but... I understand a little bit about it. I understand that if you're going to be good at chess, you have to think ahead. You have to know five, six, seven moves ahead. That means you have to know if they move this one, I've got to move this one. I'm, I'm playing checkers, this one. You know, I know they're knights and I know they're rooks. I always thought that was funny, rook. You know, like, that used to mean something to me, different. You know, you rooked me. Um, but you know each what they move they can make, and then you know what you have to make, and then you know if I make this what they will do, and you have to think seven and more moves ahead. In fact, the good chess players can think like 20 moves ahead. Because if you make that move, then I'm going to make this move. And if you make that move from this move, then I'll make this move. Or if you make that move instead of this move, then I'll make that move to combat this move. And I'm like, okay, no, forget it. I'll stay with checkers. Okay? <laughs> It's, but that's what a good chess player does is he takes what you do and uses that to compensate so that he can win the game. Well, the master of the universe who knows your thoughts, who knows the words on your tongue before they actually come out, will allow you the freedom to make all those moves and will still see an end game. He never will violate your choice and knows what will come about based on all the things that you will choose, whatever you choose. And, and so now the choice is in our court. Will we be like David and say, search my heart, test my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offense in me and, and Lead me to the way of understanding. In other words, help me to see the error so that I can make the change 
to do the right thing. Is that what we want? Or do we want to stay in the dark? Do we want to pretend like, I, I don't really want to know that you're there because I don't want you to know or be involved with what I do. I, I want to stay blind about my offenses. I want to stay ignorant. I, I want to stay prideful. I, I want to hold on to these vices. I, I don't want you interfering with my life. And so I'll just play dumb and act like you're the, not there. Or will we acknowledge that he's there and allow him to take us to the way that's everlasting? Doesn't that sound like a good place? A way everlasting. I mean, all these descriptions, wonderful. Marvelous. These things are, are too great for me. And this is the God that we can know is the one who knows us. And deep in your soul, he's already put his fingerprints there. And you know it. Your soul has been crying out since you were a child for its maker. And he's not far. He's there for you to extend your hand. Let's pray. Father, I, I love this psalm because it helps me to remember that I am more than I think I am and that you are closer than I think you are. And Father, I need to put those things together. I need the reality of who I am and the reality of who you are to walk in harmony. And so, like David, I pray, search me, not because you don't know me, but because you do. And, and test the way I think. And help me to see what I don't. Help me to know about myself what I don't know, but what I need to know so that I can be with you, so that my life will be walking in step and in harmony with the author of life, with life everlasting. And Lord, I, I pray for those here this morning who maybe have heard the whispers of your voice, ha have felt the, the gentle touch throughout their life, but have been unaware of how close you really are. I pray that this morning there would be an understanding, an enlightening, that the darkness would be light to them and that they would call out to you and say, search me. Test my heart. Show me what is offensive in me. 
And they would also ask that you would lead them into the way everlasting. Lord, that you would reveal yourself completely to them. And Father, if it is our desire to walk closely with you, may this be a continual prayer in our life. May we constantly be checking in and wanting to know what is happening. May we be aware of the magnificence of your workmanship. And may our lives reflect it. May we walk in the good works that you have set before us to live in. That people will see us and see that we have been created by you. Thank you again for this time, Lord. Bless, I pray, all those who are here. May our minds be thoughtful on these things. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.